0: Hello and welcome to the Rare Disease Cell and Gene Therapy Weekly Roundup. Every week, we at Partners for Access discuss the major news developments impacting the rare disease and cell and gene therapy industry and what they mean for you. Hi there, I am Sophie Schmitz, Managing Partner at Partners for Access and I'm delighted to be joined today by Akshay Kumar, also a partner at Partners for Access. We, um, we've had a really good year in 2019 here and we wanted to share with you some of our thoughts um, of the key activities in the orphan drug cell and gene therapy world. So. Actually, let me uh, first of all say congratulations to joining the team. I know you've been here for quite some time now. Um, really delighted that you, as well as many others, have been joining Partners for Access this year. When you look back at 2019, what are some of the key activities or events that particularly struck you this year?
1: Thanks, Sophie. I think one of the big things that stood out or really came across was the launch of a number of cell and gene therapies. So that's starting with Luxturna in Europe, Mm -hmm. earlier this year, uh, Zolgensma in the US, which is a very promising therapy, uh, and Zinteglo, which has just been approved by the European Medicines Agency and is being reviewed by the FDA. Yeah. Um, And cell and gene therapies offer this this promise of a one-time cure. And what we are seeing is there's a lot of interest in this space, especially from big pharma. And that's also reflected in some of the recent deals. So, for example, the Sparks Roche deal, four and a half billion. Uh, the Novartis Vexas deal, somewhere around almost nine billion dollars. So companies are paying premiums, and especially big pharma. And this kind of demonstrates that the promise the companies hmm. see with these one-off therapies. And especially those companies that don't have a pipeline, the big pharma company that don't have a pipeline, are willing to invest that money in acquiring that pipeline. But at the same time, when you start looking at the therapies launched today, besides Zolgensma, none of them seem to be hitting analyst expectations. Mm. And I wonder, Sophie, if you have any thoughts around that. Why is that the case?
0: Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things going on here. In terms of the analyst expectations, um, one is perhaps they were over-egging their expectations. and, And there's been such a huge promise of gene therapy from the clinical community, from the R&D community. And I think perhaps uh, many manufacturers had underestimated the complexities involved in the commercialisation and the operationalization of gene therapies. And if we look at the US, for example, certainly data this year, sales data of Q2, wasn't doing too badly. And as soon as we look at Q3, um, certainly for Kim Raya, And for Yaskarta we start to see some plateauing out there and there's a few things at play so number one is is looking at the number of clinical products that are actually ongoing at the moment in development for CAR T therapies and it's actually certainly if we look at lymphoma for example 25% of the potential patient population in the US is being consumed if I can put it like that um, through clinical trials so Clearly, that is, is making a, a significant impact. And perhaps if we dig a little deeper and try to understand, well, why is that? Why would you want to go in a clinical trial when you actually have an approved therapy available? And it really comes down to cost. Because in the US, with the uh, clinical trial population, those drugs are covered for free. And certainly, we've seen Medicaid up until sort of August providing 50% of costs. Now, they've actually promised from August pushing that up to 65%. But again, it's still not full coverage. And therefore, you can imagine why many, many patients are actually opting for clinical trials uh, rather than actually approved um, registered drugs. So, I think that's certainly played a, a major role. I think the second thing as well, I'm talking about Medicare, but specifically looking at the reimbursement and access has taken a lot longer than people had originally anticipated. And as well as well, slightly cumbersome. I think with Medicaid, they'd introduced coverage with evidence development, and many of the hospitals struggled with that to be able to incorporate that, and um, and also as well, just to be able to claim various different money back. We've heard many hospitals within the US are, are, are losing money providing CAR T therapies. So it's been that the promise of it, that almost the romance of it from a, a clinical perspective and that promise of cure is still there, but really the complexities, the operationalisation, is something that many people had certainly underestimated. And what I find quite interesting now as we look into Europe and we certainly were looking at the likes of Bluebird, we're looking at the likes of, of Novartis with a couple of gene therapies that have now been approved or will be approved, both of those companies are very keen to be talking about the fact that reimbursement and uptake is likely to be much, much slower. Quite interesting with, with Bluebird as well in terms of pushing for the annuity model and, and really trying to hope that will be a model that will allow the therapy to be more affordable across Europe. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting because the Bluebird... Zinteglo model and which is quite similar to also what Novartis has been talking about for Zulgensma, it's annuities but each annual payment is linked to achieving a treatment milestone. Now on paper this sounds very good, the big question is what adoption are we going to see by different payer systems? Mm -hmm. Uh, And there are challenges for payer systems, you know, you're using a therapy today but then you're accruing debt on your books for multiple years, your payer budget horizons are one year at a time, so there are these different challenges. Though saying that, we are seeing the peer world also evolve. You know, after all, there are 40 such therapies, at least going to come out in the next three to four years. Yeah, yeah. And the payers have started rec- to recognize this. And in some countries, we started to see some substantial changes. So let's say Germany, for example, we've seen the risk pool reform. So that protects the smaller sick funds in case they have a bolus of patients who require these very high-cost ATMPs. Mm-hmm. They have a risk pool to fall back on, and they d- are not going to go bust, essentially. Yeah. Uh, similarly, in Italy, um, they've openly come out and said they really like this payment at results model, which yes, is yeah. we pay you for... The, for your next installment only if a treatment goal is maintained. Likewise in Spain we're seeing the coherence fund which aims to cut out some of the disparity in access across regions for ATMPs. Mm. So there are these reforms happening but you know is it happening fast enough and that's a very big question uh, and I think the peers themselves will tell you that these reforms are not having you know not coming fast enough and they are falling behind. Yeah. So in my way, I think 2020 certainly, you know, it's a space to watch out is how do payers and policymakers react to this changing environment? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I, I mean, we've been at many conferences this year and it's been a continual theme in discussion there's many options looking at you know joint negotiations uh, certainly across Europe there are some now some successful examples there with the Beneluxa certainly for Spimrasa and and also the Valletta agreement um, as well so I think we'll probably see more of those collaborations as well as smarter access agreements and Actually that brings me on to the, uh, another point I wanted to raise which something else I was very very pleased to, to to see this year is finally in England and finally in France we actually have cystic fibrosis patients having access to or can be. Now that has been a long time in the making so we're talking here about four years basically between approval and finally getting access and um, for, for me one of the things that It was very difficult. I wondered if we would ever see any kind of a breakthrough specifically in England because NHS England on one side and Vertex on the other were almost in some kind of a stalemate um, they'd got to which was well you know we're now Vertex saying we're now going to remove all of our further products from nice uh, review and NHS England saying well we're going to a we're going to publish your your um, your secret discount that you have with KaleidoCo. we're going to actually open up a very old piece of legislation allowing us to basically evoke any patent protection on your drugs so it was a very very difficult situation that they had and they finally managed to get that through and part of that was really looking at this whole smart access and looking at you know how can we how can we manage not just one product but how can we actually manage a portfolio and provide a solution that looks across the disease rather than just in in isolation i think that probably is going to be one of the key trends that we see in the future very similar to France, exactly the same, um, exactly the same situation that we we had there. So definitely exciting times ahead as we go into 2020. Any particular thoughts on 2020, or should we leave that for our January podcast?
1: I think we should leave that for the January podcast. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that sounds good.
0: Well, um, thank you very much, Akshay, and uh, again, great that you joined the team. I'd like to wish all of our podcast listeners. A very, very great um, holiday period and much successes for the new year. And that's it for this week. For more news and analysis, do visit our website www.partnersforaccess.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We welcome your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next week.